Second Samuel chapter 11, the story of David and Bathsheba, one of the most famous stories of the Bible. And it begins in verse 1, It came to pass at the turn of the year, the season when kings go out to battle. So we are reminded in the beginning of chapter 11 that the story takes place when kings go to battle. That is to say, we know there already is a battle. The previous chapter, there's a war which David instigated, as it were, by sending consolers to Ammon, Hanun ben Nachash, the king of Ammon. The Torah warned us in the book of Devarim, don't get involved with them. But uh, David sends, for whatever reason, his consolers. And that leads into a war against Ammon, and even more dangerously, against the confederates of Ammon, which is Aram. And David, through the heroic uh, and courageous behavior of his generals, Yoav on one hand and his brother on the other, who together courageously defend Israel, and they make it clear, and the text makes it clear that it's a very dangerous war. So Yoav and Avishai, his brothers, separate. They fight separately. They pledge that if one is in trouble, the other will aid. And they are victorious. And they win that uh, part of the war. But now, in chapter 11, the war continues. At the turn of the year when kings go to battle, Vayishlach David et Yoav, yet Avadav Imov, yet Kol Yisrael, Vayashchitu et Bnei Amon, Vayatsur al-Rabah, Vidavid Yoshev b'Rushalayim. So it says David sent Yoav, and his servants with him, and all of Israel, and they devastated Ammon, and they besieged Rabbah, that's the capital city. V'david Yoshev Yerushalayim, literally David stayed or sat in Jerusalem. Now the question, when you read the verse, the question is, is this verse a condemnation of David or not? One can read it that way. It's the time when kings go to battle, and everybody goes to battle except the king, David Yoshev Birushalayim. The translation of JTS is David remained in Jerusalem. The translation of the Koran, the uh, Jerusalem Bible, David tarried in Jerusalem, and that's a different translation. To tarry carries with it a negative connotation. To remain, not necessarily. But what's interesting is that actually here, it's written, when kings go to battle, but it's written, Mem Lamed Aleph Chaf Yud Mem, which is Malachim, which is messengers, when messengers go to battle. And the reading of it is one, kings go to battle, but the way it's written, Malachim, could be read differently. In other words, there's no reason to assume, ab initio, that what David does is wrong. Because the king doesn't have to go to war personally every time. Sending the troops out is a way of fighting. The king can remain back. Whether it's negative or not will depend actually on how the story unfolds. David staying in Jerusalem. Yes, we do remember it's a war that we can blame David for. That is true. Now the story continues. By Hiwieto Erev. It came to pass at eventide. David Agag 
So the second verse already is problematic. It came to pass towards evening that David rose up from his bed. means that David is sleeping in the afternoon. That suggests, sleeping suggests, a lack of interest, a lack of concern. We are reminded, for example, the book of Jonah. When the ship that Jonah is on as he flees from God is caught in a terrible storm and everybody is very concerned and praying and crying out, and Jonah is sound asleep. So that's a lack of concern. It's one thing to sleep the siesta, but that's earlier in the daytime. That's Betzarayim, not Eliyat Erev. So we have here a sense that this is a king who's not interested in the war. Why that's so, we don't know. The text doesn't actually tell us why David doesn't participate, why David has lost interest. Is it old age? Is it boredom? Been there, done that? We don't know the reason. But what we do know is that somehow he is disconnected from this war. He sleeps in the afternoon. He goes up to the roof and he sees a beautiful woman bathing. The roof, the gog, is a dangerous place. It's the highest place. It's a dangerous place. It's dangerous to be on top. There's no place one can go but down. And in fact, I am reminded of a verse in the Torah, in the book of Deuteronomy. When you build a new house, make a parapet around your roof. Do not place blood in your house. Do not make your house a dangerous place. Because the one that falls may fall from it. So the drush here, one might say it's a homily, but it's a homily that is supported by the text. The roof is a dangerous place. We remember King Saul, when he first met Samuel, Samuel took him to the Gog. His downfall was through Agog. Agog. And so falls. The language of the chapter 31, the language of chapter 28 of 1 Samuel, chapter 1 of 2 Samuel, is all about Saul falling. And now David goes to the Gog, and he sees a beautiful woman from the Gog, from the place he should not be. He shouldn't be there. And when we put ourselves in the place we shouldn't be, we always get into trouble. Vayishlach David, vayidrosh lo'ayishah, David sent and inquired of the woman. Vayomer, he said, someone tells him, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Now Eliam and Uriah, Uriah are both listed in the list of David's giborim, the valiant warriors. And with the previous chapter we're told the warriors are in the field, field fighting. So it means that she's alone. There's nobody home. So David knows who she is. He knows she's a married woman. But the next verse, Vayishlach David Malachim, here David sends Malachim, the same word we encountered in verse number one. Vayikochel, he took her. David sends his messengers. He took her, he slept with her. She was purifying herself from her impurity. So she must have been bathing maybe in a mikveh. And of course, it's a time when you can become pregnant. And she, re- she went home. As far as David's concerned, it's over. 
one night affair, he sends her back home. Now we notice that these verses, verse number one, verse number three, verse number four, all have the same verb, which is Vayishlach, to send. And that's a verb that appears many times in chapter 11, many, many times. The idea of the king sending. We encounter a similar verb in other stories of the Bible. I'm reminded in particular of chapter 38 of Genesis, the story of Judah and Tamar. Judah leaves the family in chapter 38, verse 1, and he links up with a fellow named Chira, an Adulamite. And Chira accompanies Judah throughout the story. In the story, we recall, Judah sends away his daughter, Tamar, his two sons were both married to her and they died. And he blames her for the death of his children. He sends her away under the pretext of waiting till his third son grows up. But the reality is he has no intention of ever being in touch with Tamar. And she's languishing in her father's home. And when Judah's own wife dies, Tamar hears about it. And she goes out of her house. She puts on different clothing. Not, she takes off the widow's clothing. She's been mourning all these years. And she stands on the road, and Judah sees her and thinks she's a prostitute, propositions her, and she says, well, what will you give me? Oh, I'll send you a goat later. No, she says, pay me now. What do you want? Your staff, your seal, and your coat, symbols of leadership. And Judah gives them to her. And then later on, he wants to get them back. They are given as a pledge. So he sends Chira, his associate, to get them back. And Chira can't find her. She's disappeared. He comes back. He says to Judah, I can't find her. And no one seems to know who she is. Says Judah, let her keep the symbols of my leadership. We don't want to ask too many questions, lest it be embarrassing. I sent a goat that I promised to send. And you couldn't find her. That sums it up. I sent it and you couldn't find her. The idea of the sending in that story, and over here, is you send it, you work through others. You send messages to get Bathsheba. You send people into war. You're going to send a message later in this chapter to your general to have Uriah the Hittite killed after you can't convince him to go back to his wife. And that's part of the danger of the kingship, is you're in a situation where you can get other people to do your work. And nobody will ever know because kings send messengers. The time of the year, we ate Seitamalachim. It's the time when kings send messengers. So it's a position you're in where it's very easy to cover up. And in fact, the story takes place at twilight. The story takes place, we ate Erev, time of the shadows. As the prophet said to David in the next chapter, you operated in stealth, Baseter. But God will punish you publicly as the sun is shining. And if you think about it more deeply, actually, repentance requires that you step out of the shadows. The first step of repentance is to say, I take responsibility. No one else did it. It's my responsibility. What marks David, the positive side of David, is unlike Saul, who perhaps didn't understand what he did wrong, David has a perfect understanding. And once David comes to recognize what he did wrong, he's perfectly capable of saying, as he says in the next chapter, I have sinned. The sending, the operating through third parties, 
and repentance are mutually exclusive. Because the operating through third parties in the story over here is a way of disclaiming responsibility, of hiding the truth. And repentance requires confronting the truth. We are reminded of the, one of the first narratives of the Torah. When Adam and his wife partake of the forbidden fruit, and the Torah says, Adam and his wife hid from before God amongst the trees of the garden. And God called out to Adam and said, Where are you? And Adam does not take the responsibility. Adam blames her, Adam blames God. The hiding precludes the repentance. What David has to do in the story of David and Bathsheba is step out of the shadows and accept the truth and accept the responsibility.